0: Matthew chapter 1, starting reading at verse 1, this is God's word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amminadab, Amminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Amon, and Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers. About that time, they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Sheltil, Shelatil begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abiod. Abiad begot Elakim, and Elakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok. Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eluid. Eluid begot Eleazar. Eleazar begot Matham, and Matham begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, to whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. (coughs) Amen. We thank God for this reading from His Truth. And if you thought that was hard to read into yourselves, folks, it's even harder to read uh, out loud. We're going to pray and ask for God's help to understand this passage from his word together. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for every part of it. From Genesis to Revelation, it is your inspired word. And through it, you speak to us. Some parts are easier to understand and some parts are more difficult. And yet we thank you for it all. And we pray, O God, that you would be pleased to speak to us today. Help us to understand in our heads, uh, to believe in our hearts. And to glory with our lives of who Jesus is. We pray this in his name. Amen. Whenever I was 19 years old, I went to a a summer camp in America. I went to work on a summer camp in America. Maybe some of our young people have done something similar or would like to do something similar uh, in the future. The camp was in the middle of nowhere, really. It was kind of in the centre of Ohio, in the Midwest of America. It wasn't the kind of place that you would choose to go to um, unless you were working on a summer camp there. And I was there for nearly three months uh, during that summer. Uh, Many American summer camps have lots of foreign people working on them. This one wasn't like that. It was mostly locals who were working on this camp. There was me and there was an Australian girl and that was it. We were the only foreigners uh, working there. Well, one day, this busload of teenagers arrived and they were a group over from Northern Ireland. And so, of course, I was chatting to them and I found out they were from Carrickfergus. I I have cousins who live in Carrick and so what did I do? I did what all of you would have done and asked them, Do you know my cousins? And of course. They did know my cousins. And that didn't help, but it spread the myth among the Americans that all the people in Ireland know one another. But well, that's something we do, isn't it? When we meet somebody new, we, we try and connect with them. We try and connect with them through maybe where they're from, or who they know, or who they're related to. Whenever I tell people that I'm the minister here, people often come up with a couple of surnames and they say, "Do you know the the Cartmills? Do you know the Harpers?" People want to know if they can connect me through people that they already know. They figure out who they know in this congregation. Now, many people will read the passage that we've just read and say, that's boring. And many people would skip over it. But there's no way that we can say that. Because I know how much here in Kings Mills you value the idea of family, of who's related to who, family lines, family history, where a person comes from, who they're related to. That's really important to you all. Because it tells us a lot about who a person is. And that should be no less the case when it comes to Jesus. Matthew has set before us today a wonderful family line. From Abraham through David, through the Babylonian exile, to Jesus himself. I wonder, boys and girls, as we read through that list of names... You recognised some of the names, I'm sure. You've heard these names in Sunday school. You've heard these names before. In fact, haven't we been thinking about Isaac and Jacob and Judah in the last number of months in church? This is a wonderful family tree given to us to help to show us who Jesus is. So if we want to know who Jesus is, well then, here's a great place to start who's he related to? Where does he come from? Those are questions which are vitally important because knowing Jesus is the most important thing that any one of us can do with our lives. It's the most important thing. And so we're blessed today to have this family history, to study together and learn about who Jesus is related to and where Jesus comes from. And therefore, find out who Jesus is. I have two points for us to look at today. They are who Jesus is related to and where Jesus comes from. So we'll start by thinking about who he's related to. This is, as I say, the sort of passage that often gets skipped over whenever we're reading our Bibles. We, we maybe just jump straight to verse 18. But as I say, I know that you should value this passage. I have spent time talking to people in this congregation. And we could cover an hour or two just talking about people's names and who they're related to. So discovering who Jesus is related to should actually be of great interest to us. And actually, it's not only of great interest, it's of great importance Because if this passage wasn't important, then God would not have included it in the Bible. But it's here for us. We don't have time today, do we, to go into every one of these names in the genealogy? But I do want to focus on a few significant ones. And the ones I want to focus on are rather obvious because they're all female. They're all female. And this is a deliberate choice for Matthew. When writing a family history, uh, at this time, it, it would have been common practice to just include the fathers. Such and such begot, such and such begot, such and such and so on. If he had wanted to, Matthew could have gone away from that and included all of the mothers. But he doesn't do either of those two things. No, he includes these five women very specifically. And so our attention should be drawn to them. They are Tamar and Rahab and Ruth, Bathsheba, who's not given by name, and finally Mary. Let's think about these women that Jesus is related to. And let's remember, this is Jesus' family line. There are some things that unite these women together. Firstly, it's likely that probably with the exception of Mary, they are outsiders to the covenant. By that, I mean they are foreigners to the children of Israel. Rahab, for example, was a Canaanite, Ruth and Moabiteus. So these women represent the nations. They represent the nations who, who surrounded the Israelites, but also who stood against and oppressed the people of God through the Old Testament. And yet, these outsiders are brought into the covenant through God's goodness. And not only are they brought into the covenant, they are used by God in his perfect plan to send a rescuer through this line. Now, we might have some Harry Potter fans uh, here today, I don't know. You will know the expression, mudblood. If you've read Harry Potter, that refers to somebody who's not from a purely magical line. Well, we see here in in this line of Jesus women who aren't from a pure Jewish background. And so, what we actually see is something of God's promise to Abraham that his seed, Abraham's seed, will be a blessing to the nations. And that comes to pass through these women. You remember uh, God's promise to Abraham that all the families on the earth would be blessed. So it's no wonder that at the beginning of this genealogy we learn that Jesus is the son of Abraham. Jesus is the one who fulfills the promise of God to bless all the families of the world. The fact that Matthew draws our attention to these women in this genealogy is significant. Because he's pointing us to the reality of the promise of God. He's saying, look who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of Abraham who will bless the nations. And he's already started with these foreign women. But I think the point of including these women goes much deeper. The point is this. Their stories, which you can go home and read this afternoon their stories are shrouded with sin and with shame. These women's lives were sinful and they were treated in a very shameful and sinful way by the men whose children they bore. You can go home and read Tamar's sad story in Genesis chapter 38. Tamar's husband died and She was abandoned by his brothers and she's left to live as a widow with nobody to take care of her. But she doesn't leave things this way. Through trickery and deceit, she tricks her father-in-law Judah into sleeping with her and she becomes pregnant. That's how the birth of Perez and Zerah came about. In the line of Jesus the Christ. We probably know the story of Rahab. A wonderful help to the spies of Israel in the land of Canaan. But she too was a prostitute in that land. Ruth is a Moabite. And and again, she's a woman who turned out to be a wonderful person. A a great example of integrity in the Old Testament. But there's no doubt she started her her life as a pagan and an idol worshipper. Bathsheba was the object of King David's lust the one with whom he committed adultery. And it would seem this is such a shameful tale to include that Matthew wants to include it, but he cannot bring himself to use her name. He calls her the wife of Uriah in verse 7. And that, of course, reminds us of what David did with Uriah, having him murdered. These women are a pointer to us, of the sinfulness and the mess of this family line. And the men with whom these women are connected are definitely not any better. Many of them are worse. So we see in this family history that Jesus is related to some terribly sinful people. And I think, by the way, that, that is why Matthew mentions the Babylonian exile as well. He's making the point that Jesus comes from a family line of sinners who have messed up time and time again. Jesus comes from this line of people who were so disobedient and who broke God's covenant to such an extent that they were cast out of the promised land. But yet, who comes at the end of the line? Jesus comes into the muck and the mess, into the sin and the shame. Friends, God is not far from us. God has come close to us. I'm sure you remember the last two Christmas seasons. Self-isolation. Making sure we avoid getting sick and dying. Well, before this first Christmas, Jesus was in heaven, perfectly protected from sin and death, no risk of infection. And yet Jesus didn't self-isolate. Jesus reached down. He came into a world that is sick with sin, a world of prostitution and adultery and murder and wickedness. Jesus came into this world to save us. He became a human being like us. He identifies with us. We do not have a high priest who cannot empathise with our weakness. He became like us in every way, except for sin, so that he might save us from our sins. And that's why Mary is so important here. Jesus does not have an earthly father. And so the last of the women might be the most significant. And we're going to think more about Mary next week. But for now, know that it is because Jesus is born of a virgin that he's not infected with sin. And therefore, he's able to die for the sins of his people. Because we are sinful people, aren't we? Look down into your life. Look down into your heart. I know you have things in your life which are messy. Things which are sinful and shameful. I know you do. Things that, that you think no one will understand. Things you wish you could just wipe away. My well, friends, look at who Jesus is related to. He gets it. Jesus understands. And he is the only one who can wipe them away. There is good news for sinners here. Jesus can wipe all of our sin and our shame away. He took it upon himself at the cross and he can remove it from you. His name is Jesus because he came to save his people from their sins. The other name given to Jesus in verse one of our passage is Christ. And that is concerned with our second point where Jesus comes from. I'm not really talking about Bethlehem or Nazareth here, although those places both have their significance. I'm talking about the longer-term plan of God in sending Jesus, His Son, down from heaven and the, the specific family line that He comes from. I'm sure you remember the promise of God in Genesis chapter 3:15, when we spoke about it with the boys and girls. God promised. That he would send a rescuer to crush the head of the serpent. To do the very thing that Adam should have done in the garden. Kill the serpent and bring life to all mankind. Adam didn't do that. But God promised a seed of the woman who would. And from that point on in the book of Genesis. In the whole of the Old Testament. The people of God are waiting for this serpent crusher. Someone who will come and defeat the serpent and cast him out. God's people are waiting for the one who will come to give them a new beginning. A new Genesis. And Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is the serpent crusher. Jesus is the king that we need who will give us a new beginning. Now we've spent quite a bit of time in Genesis since I became minister here almost three years ago. I'm hoping we've built up some understanding of that book. But just in case, let me remind you how Genesis is structured. Genesis is built around a little phrase, which goes something like, this is the genealogy of... And then it gives the story of that person's family. Genesis 5 verse 1 says, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. Genesis 6 9 says, This is the genealogy of Noah. Genesis eleven twenty seven 27 says, This is the genealogy of Terah. That's Abraham's father. And there's quite a few others. And each time as we read Genesis, we're, we're left thinking, Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the story of the serpent crusher, the king sent from God to give us a new beginning. Well, I wonder if you noticed how Matthew started his gospel. Look at Matthew 1 verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You see what Matthew's doing? He's mimicking the book of Genesis to say, here is the serpent crusher. Here is the king of God. He has come to give us a new beginning, a new Genesis, a new world. He's come as the Christ, God's rescuer. And he's here to establish God's kingdom. Matthew further underlines this point by continually pointing our attention to King David. Not only is Jesus the son of Abraham sent to bless the nations, and not only is he the serpent crusher of Genesis 3.15, he is the king of God, the Messiah or Christ, in the line of David, who was Israel's greatest king to this point. Now I want to take us back to the Old Testament once again, to God's covenant with King David. But as, a, as an aside, I suppose I do want to say to, to all of us, but the boys and girls especially, boys and girls, it's really important to know your Bibles well. We can't understand what Matthew is saying unless we understand all of the stories that we've learned in Sunday school. Here's where all of that learning pays off. Because knowing the stories helps us understand who Jesus is helps us understand where he comes from. Now, if you want to keep a finger in Matthew chapter 1 and turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, feel free to do that to Samuel chapter 7. In 2 Samuel, Samuel chapter 7, we read about God giving David rest, giving him peace from his enemies. And as a result, David thinks to himself, God's been good to me. I should build a house for God. He says it's not right that he lives in a house, but God dwells in a tabernacle, a temporary structure, a tent made of cloth. <coughs> but God came to Nathan the prophet and told him to make it clear to David, David does not need to build a house for God. Quite the reverse. You can see what God tells David in verses 12 and 13 of Second Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled, And you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, God did not intend for David to build him a house. God is the one who builds houses and kingdoms. And he promises that it is the seed of David who will build a house for God and who will have an everlasting kingdom. Now, we know that Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, a house for God. We also know that it was destroyed during the time of the exile. It was rebuilt and then it was destroyed again by the Romans in 70 AD. God wasn't talking about Solomon here. God is talking about Solomon's greater son, the son of Abraham, the son of David, Jesus the Christ. Jesus is the one who has come as the serpent-crushing king to give us a new beginning, from Abraham to bless the nations, and from David to establish an everlasting kingdom. Jesus has come to build a house for God in the church And what did Christ say? He said he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ has come to take over the throne of David and to establish his kingdom as the only kingdom which will last forever. Many people might say that this list of names is boring and easy to skip over. But Matthew doesn't think so. He wants us to know who Jesus is. And for Matthew, that means telling us who he's related to and where he comes from. Jesus is the Christ, sent from God, the promised rescuer, who has come to crush the head of the serpent and to give us all a new beginning. He's the son of Abraham, come to bless all families on earth. He's the son of David. Thomas the king to step into the muck and the mess and the mire of this world and establish his kingdom. To do the very thing that Adam couldn't do, to defeat sin and death, to build his church, his church which is established as the house of God and a kingdom which shall know no end. Friends, Matthew is telling us here with this list of names, that in the birth of Jesus, something new has begun. This is the dawn of redeeming grace. That baby born in Bethlehem is the saviour of the world, the long-awaited Messiah, the one that we all need. We need him to find hope and joy and comfort in this life. He is the one who shows us that God keeps his promises, who blesses us with God's presence here on earth, who brings us into his kingdom to have everlasting life and who removes all of our sin and shame. This is not a boring list of names. This is the greatest news of all time. Let me pray for us.